to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, in this episode, I have a discussion with a school teacher in Florida who has over a decade of experience teaching in multiple states, as a matter of fact, in both classrooms and as an administrator, along with the public school system and the Catholic school system. What he describes regarding both systems and their similarities and differences is very, very interesting, to say the least. It's, uh, it's a frightening scenario that's clearly designed to withdraw the family from the education of the child and ultimately withdraw the actual education from the child themselves as well. He also describes how decentralization is the way forward, and I agree with him wholeheartedly, as I'm sure much of this audience does as well. We briefly discussed some of the mask-related issues that occurred, uh, although he lives in Florida, so they didn't quite have the problem. But um, he's well aware of what's going on nationwide, and again, we discuss a variety of different subjects. So give this a listen, share it wherever you can, and I'll catch you on Friday. I'm a... uh... I'm a, like a traditional Latin mass Catholic. Um, so we're like the redheaded stepchild, stepchildren of, of a lot of dioceses. Um, and it's actually why I left um, a perfectly fine position at a nice little cute rural Catholic school. I was a principal. Um, but it was frowned upon for me to go to this mass um, that's literally about 2,000 years old, roughly. It's it's got all the bells and whistles and it, it's, I saw the fruit with my children immediately, even when they were young, youngest toddler. Um, the, the, the pastors and priests are typically, um, dynamite. You can count on them. They show up. They're very manful. It's, it's really missing in our society. So, um, so I'm not at a Catholic school right now, uh, just because they probably wouldn't have me, um, regardless of how much experience I have or, um, you know, what kind of point of view I'm, I have a Catholic education, you know, being, I, I feel that Catholic education is a real true education. Um, just because if it's, if it's centered, if education is centered on objective truth, um, which, you know, and, and I'm not trying to cause any offense or anything, but objective truth in itself as Christ, um, that's a pretty darn good foundation, um, starting point. So, you know, the good, the beautiful, all those things that we should be, um, we should presenting, we, we should present to our children, our students, um, the world even it's, it's what should be happening, but, um, Catholic schools are kind of just going the same way that the public school down the street is going. But the problem is, is the Catholic school charges a tuition. Um, and when you're offering the same exact thing, for free down the road, most of the time with sports and all these other, um, nice bells and whistles, then, then it's definitely, um, the Catholic school is going to fail every time. And, and that's, that's been the story, um, ever since or somewhere around the sixties. But as, as far as me working in education, I've, I've been in education, public and private, um, uh, mainly Catholic and just public schools, middle schools, for uh, about 12 years, which these days is, you know, I've, I've been able to hang on and have varied positions throughout a couple of different systems and dioceses and districts and states um, and always kind of fallen back to it. Um, but every time, no matter what state, district or diocese, I just come up against the same 
um, kind of monolithic thinking that is is essentially uh, uh, failing our students and failing failing these systems as a whole. So um, it's depressing, isn't it? It is, and it's and it's hard. Like the last, um, I, I have a good friend that uh, lives close, and and I was thinking I, I'd moved back down to Florida, um, and I'd gotten a public school job just to make that. I mean, it's great to be able to to plug into that anywhere, and there's there's openings everywhere, and and even if I didn't have experience, people would take chances um, just because the system is showing some some severe weakness in that area um so so it was easy to get into that gig but you know if it's the wrong school or wrong ad- administrators if if the culture of the school is just teachers are eating each other left and right and miserable you know it's not somewhere where you can really be at peace and uh thinking about you know the education that you're attempting to provide um, so, so we found that, you know, when we moved back down to Florida, it was a little, that was 2019. It, it was a little, sh- it was a, quite a stretch for me to remain there, make so little money. My wife stays home with our kids, um, and we homeschool, but, uh, because she's a, she's, she's an ex teacher too. And, and I have a master's in education. So it's, I mean, we, we, we're, we're fully capable of teaching our own children. Um, and, and we actually enjoy it having that autonomy um anyway long story short we came back it 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 was really depressing coming back after being in catholic school for six years straight um because catholic catholic school the the diocese the the dioceses had their own issues but it certainly was delightful to be able to to speak those objective truths and to have the reins as a principal i mean i had teachers who i mean i was like 35 years old something like that and I had teachers who who were who had been teaching longer than I was alive, and there's no way as an administrator I'm going to walk into that class of that kindergarten teacher who can who can literally teach dyslexic dyslexic children how to read, um, and knows knows every little trick in the book to get them there in kindergarten. Um, there's no way I'm going to walk into her classroom and say, you know what you need to do is um, there needs to be more school work, school work up on the wall and give them advice. Like I, I just, I just never assumed, you know, I assumed I was there as a resource and I assumed I was there to keep the place, the lights on, the heat on, and, and to make sure that we're all functioning as a, as a, as a team, you know, helping with that culture. But there's no way that I could, I could consider myself the expert for the teacher in the room. Um, unless they were really inexperienced and I could give them some pointers, but what, I'm usually hiring the person to do the work. So why would I want to, you know, really get in there? And I just want them to be comfortable really. Um, and gl- that's really missing too. I'm glad. Oh, I agree. And I'm glad, and you can elaborate on it. Uh, and I, I want you to, I'm glad you mentioned that because what, what you just said is a perfect example of, in my opinion, of a quality of an actual leader your ability to actually recognize that fact and then know to essentially stay away. Whereas other administrators really suffer from narcissistic personality disorder and they, they enter those environments and they try to micromanage everything and they end up destroying their, any reputation that they may have had because again, they step on the wrong toes. 
Right. And they, and they're on, they're only there for three or four years tops and, and they're moved on. And it, and that doesn't even matter because it's, it's usually it's the accreditation firm that, that the place is actually linking in with, or, you know, all these guardrails are in education to keep everybody just moved towards this constant progress that really has shown, shown never to work. Um, so yeah, I was, I was always leery of all that, especially as a teacher. I remember the secretary of the school and I consider, I mean, the secretary is like the brains of the operation. Like they, they can connect all the dots constantly. Yep. And so I always made sure that, I mean, she was the one to take it. If she liked chocolate, she needed chocolate. Um, anyway, she asked me like one of the first times we met when I took the reins of the school and she was like, are you going to change anything? And I was like, no, I'm not going to change anything. You know, like. We're not, we're not going downhill. It's a nice little school, 70 kids. It was great. It was like a family. Um, so I, I, you know, that first year I, I got to hang back and, and kind of hide away and keep things moving and just kind of observe. And there was a couple of things that, that, that needed to be dealt with, but none of it had to do with personnel and none of it really had to do with, um, the actual education that we're giving them. Cause I, there's gotta be, there's so much more to education than just, um, a curriculum and no matter how much they talk, how much they talk about not teaching the test, it's exactly what we do every single time. Um, because it's an outcome based education is just that way you want a certain outcome. Um, so it's, it's a constant argument. So, so I think, and I think public and private, they're suffering from the same thing. It's, it's a bureaucratic problem. It's a, uh, it's a top down mentality. Um, when, the most important person in the school is the teacher. Um, they're, they're, they are the gateway for the knowledge to, to come. And I, I do, I do kind of, I, you know, I, I fall to more traditional, I'm a history teacher at heart. So my special, um, superpowers, I can just put people to sleep immediately. Um, when I start talking, but I think, I think, I think the traditional way to teach history, not this applied history, but just saying I have knowledge in my brain and I'm a master of a lot of that knowledge and I can tell stories. And, and then I'm going to show you examples by story of actual humans that have come before you that made all the mistakes that you're going to make. They've, they've done these tremendous and awesome historical things, you know, that are offered to you to do. You know, it's just a totally different, you know, it's not the Ferris Bueller, you know, thing where it's just boring as heck and it's lecture. And no, you can, you can still be pretty entertaining if you're telling a story um, that you're, you're really on fire about. So, so coming from the social sciences in general, I just, I just think, you know, making it this applied stuff and, and really tamping down on the curriculum and then, um, I mean, when you look at the world history books, I mean, I, I think I spent uh, one of the years, 12, 12, 12 weeks on China. And I spent, you know, two and a half on Rome and one and a half on Greece, like these ridiculous, you know, obviously, who's who's making these textbooks like 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 that? It's important to know the world, but. But for goodness sakes, Greece and Rome have a heck of a lot more to do with the United States of America than 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 the history of China. No disrespect. It's just um, it's going to always it's going to always be political and it's always going to zero in on. 
on stuff that just it doesn't need to clutter the classroom. So that I've always considered the teacher to be to be number one, um, and that fits with with the with the Catholic thing too. Um, when we get into we kind of dig into the state of Catholic schools in a little bit. Um, there's a lot on that subject that the teacher is the most important. And when I read that, I was like, well, of course, of course, it's not the curriculum. And of, of course, it's not the method. It's, it's, it's the person who is building a relationship with the other person. Um, that's going to be the most, and for better or worse, really, when you, when it comes down to it, um, these days, it's the teacher that's most important. So anyway, these bureaucratic states, both Catholic and public, um, it's all about data, but they never, they always do data. I just don't trust data. I think they, I think, I think science has taken a hit with all this COVID stuff. I think medicine's taken a serious hit. And I, I think data, just the, the, you can tweak it for whatever you want. You can make anything look like anything you want at any time. And I think that's a dangerous way to, to bring kids up. Um, so, and especially when half the time that data, says that we should be going back to more traditional uh, principles in teaching and, and running a school and that sort of thing. Um, I think the problem, the main problem was centralization, all, all, all the power at the top away from the teacher. And I'm, I'm not even a union rep or, or a union member, but, um, but I, I argue that the, the teacher being the most important, it's not even a matter of money. It just should be, it should be, it should be, be obvious in every district you go that the superintendent is not the person who you do a dog and pony show for. The, the student is. The parents are the ones that you're trying to make a connection for. The parents have hired you, not not the district, um, not the school board, even though that's legally how it's kind of set up. Um, so the centralization, I think, has really has really um, ruined a lot of things not just education even just um everything i mean you can you can think about really i mean even medicine the the hyper specialization and the centralization of all you know you got one person calling the shots for for hundreds if not thousands of professionals who have you know functioning working brains um and then the bureaucratic state state and you know medicine hospitals that's that's what kept a lot of that initial treatment stuff um from the public view they just said you know we'll, we're just going to stick them on a ventilator and, and give them water and we'll hope for the best when i mean they could have been giving them 20 different things um and fixing it right off the bat that's that's how a teacher should be allowed space too you know it's it's the administration i think gets in the way for as much as they want to uh want to be a resource or they they feign that they're a resource or something like that. They, they really do kind of, kind of muddle everything up and keep everything standardized. Um, anyway, that I, I, back in the day I, I was, I had a, you know, a bigger chip on my shoulder. So I looked into kind of the science of, of leadership in, in districts and, and stuff. And, and it's really, it's really interesting when you think, um, what I found is the further away the professional is from the child, the more money they make, but the less they have um, in actual effect on the student success. 
Um, yep. I, tr- I, tr- I tried to find some of the, some of the studies that I've come across. The only one I could find was, you know, teachers were about 44% um, as far as influence on the academic se- success of the pupil. Um, the school-based administrators was around 30. Uh, the district was around 19. And superintendent was at 3%. Has a has a three percent effect overall on student achievement. And I, I'll and, tell you what, I would go I would go further with that, and I'd say they're being generous, and it's quite possible that that study was manipulated. Yeah, well, and it was it was the uh, the the I think it's AASA. It's the Association of Something Superintendents of America. Oh well, there so, you have it. <laughs> so yeah, so they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Nike did a study about their tennis shoes, and everybody yeah, likes Nikes. Yeah, okay, everybody loves them, and it doesn't matter that they're made by children, and and that get paid three cents a week or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, even if it's a buck a week. You know, and this and this is just standard operating procedure for us these days, and we just we allow things like that, but then but then we 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 just don't we just don't see the whole pie you know this this globalism thing that they're trying and they're succeeding very well at is is just not something that's very practical and in fact it's it's quite inhumane sometimes um anyway yeah well let me give you an example this is a this is an example i've i've brought up on the podcast in the in the past um on at least two or three occasions in fact i if i'm not mistaken i I either read from this study a little bit, but I certainly brought it up. When I was in graduate school, I came, or actually it was after graduate school, I came across this and it blew me away. And it, of course, never surprised me when I read it because this was something that was pushed on all of us when I was a school teacher. It made zero sense. I knew it made zero sense. It felt wrong in, in every part of my body. And it was a study that proved w- beyond a reasonable doubt that and it was a you know it was a in-depth uh, quantitative peer-reviewed study, uh, at least three authors. They they came up with putting number values with the uh, the, the practice of having school teachers review standardized test scores of their students, and their conclusion was that in any regardless of the amount of time that school teachers were told to consistently log in and review the the standardized test scores of their students that it had that it had as much impact on student success and student grades including their standardized test scores as it as it would uh on the student's height that is insane yeah which means Again, I, I mean, I love it, but you know, it's it uh, it just proves, of course, that it that it does nothing. And so, one of the unfortunate things that occurred where I taught in Florida was that they would the, the district created this giant um, algorithmic system, this chart program, basically, where we would have to log in as teachers and look at the test scores, the the standardized test scores from the previous year of just our homeroom students which were students that we didn't even have in class, that we didn't even teach, but they just wanted us to look at them. And so what they would do is, is they would, they would track the amount of time that teachers were logged into that system. And if they, they would uh, basically surveil them. And if they weren't logged in 
long enough, they would use that against them in their evaluation. Yeah, and it's it's just it it boggles the mind who comes up with this stuff. Like who is who else is sitting in the room thinking like this? Not even a logistical thing, but this just doesn't make any sense that it would actually that it would actually make it, it would have any effect in a positive way on the schooling of kids when when you don't think of the, the blatantly obvious you know uh bring teachers up in a way that they f- feel they can actually teach and they can actually not have to you know submit to these these controls and things um because I, I I was listening to one of your podcasts and and I it was like the same thing and and this hasn't happened until this past year. Um, you know, you, you get nostalgic sometimes, and you know, I think back when I when I first started teaching and and I did ESE first, and because um, that's kind of getting your foot in the door. Um, but then I was kind of drawn towards ad- administration, so I did like behavior coach and and intervention specialists and things like that but it's all it's all paper trail anyway and then on top of that they treat ese kids um instead of instead of pinpointing what's actually going on with the ese kid they just kind of actually keep them in school regardless and there's no other placement you know they instead of having places for them to go other than these you know nonviolent crisis intervention you know basically borderline juvenile detention facilities um no actual no actual therapeutic you know this is this is what you're going to be expected of in future um as an adult and and we should probably work towards this you know it was always this you know theoretical stuff but it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense um it doesn't make any sense so i i started with ese i got into that stuff um left to go to Catholic education, you know, it, it was better. It was definitely better. The first principal, we were allowed a lot of space. She was very confident in, in how she led. Um, she didn't really look. Some administrators, they get a school and they, they got to immediately put their imprint on the school. Um, so it, it's like a flavor almost. And um, and like I said, I've I've never really been like that. But you get you get nostalgic when you think about some of these things, some of these past jobs I had. But when I started teaching again this fall, um, I took a couple years off and and did some private things for fun, and um, and that didn't pan out a hundred percent. But you know, I got to start a business, and I got a lot of extra experience working for a friend of mine, and um, so it was good. It was definitely worth it. But when I came back to education. I was like, this is, this is exactly, this is exactly what I need to do. This is, I was, I was born to do this. And that one of your podcasts, I, I don't know which one it was, but, um, cause I've been trying to play catch up and stuff, but it literally is you, that's what you said. You know, you feel you were put on planet earth to do this and, and to think that you have to walk into this classroom and there's all these diktats from on high that are, that are making you miserable and and you don't even i mean it's like you don't even want to show up for work some days because your third period or fifth period or whatever there's all these discipline issues and you like the kids and you hope the best for them but it's like i mean this it's not like this is crazy awesome money it's it's not like if i feel that i was born to do this i think they put up a certain amount of hurdles 
to kind of, you know, cover all the uh, inexperienced, maybe they could even feign that it was for the inexperienced. But at some point you got to say, man, I got this guy who's been in education for 12 years and, and he, he's licensed in the state of Florida to basically teach any subject in middle school minus, you know, PE and music. Um, I, I think I should allow him some space since he wants to hang around. I think I should allow him, you know, maybe he knows something about history, even though he, you know, he's got a history degree and, you know, I mean, when we're not allowed to be masters of the subjects, um, we're just masters of our classroom within reason. It's, it's a, it's always, it's always going to turn out poorly. I feel it, there's gotta be some space at some point. Yeah. I worked with a guy who had seven master's degrees. Seven master's degrees. Oh man. He, he taught geography. And Damn. and he got his master's degrees in almost every subject that you could teach in school. And he did it for that reason. And then he did it for the reason of um being able to you know, cover the point system that's necessary to maintain your certification. So he sort of was double dipping from certainly an intellectual standpoint, but no one knew he had seven master's degrees until the day he retired. And they they were doing one of those, you know, we're we're, going to miss you, glad you worked here kind of things. And they were running through his resume, the person who was, you know, introducing him and talking to him or, you know, talking to the group about him and and what he had accomplished throughout his throughout his career. And I mean, you could have heard a a gasp in the room. But I mean, you're you're dead right. It's that kind of stuff that no one seems to give a damn about, and the and the fact is, is they don't. You're right. you're a cog in the wheel, right. and, the, and the last thing they want is you acting like you're the wheel. Right, right, and the, and and um, and and currently, you know, I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a decent district. You know, when when I look at the districts around the counties. You know, I have, I have, I have reasonable administration, you know, but I was, I was, uh, because I'm, I'm first year in this County, they, they are, you know, giving me some extra workshops and whatever. So I was actually at a school and I was, I was watching other teachers do their thing and, um, and just how the other teachers in the downtime were talking to the other new teachers. Cause I was, you know, I, I, I did alternative certification. I had a, I had a history degree, went through alternative, alternative certification, then went for a uh, master's in education after that. Um, but, but those, the way those people were talking ab- about the students and the, just the, the, just the vocab, I'm like, are we even, are we even speaking English right now about these children who are faced um, with, with this crazy world that we have right now, are we even, you know, we're talking about, you know, fluency and all these different things and all this data and that data. And it's like, no, I mean, we're teaching children and we want citizens. We want, we don't want these cogs, you know, that's, cause that's what they want the students to be too. They don't, they want, they want the cogs, uh, for the society, you know, and that's at its inception, you know, the modern schooling system, 
is 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 set up for that it was it was the robber barons and and the industrialists who they 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 wanted factories but the problem is you know they moved those factories overseas now we got the system still and there's no place for them to go so you know delinquency and you know i mean it's just it's it's bonkers that we're we're just gonna pedal to the metal on this and you know i mean i wouldn't have said this a couple of years ago but i mean we might witness the, the, the entire system failing and i mean that's hard to believe i mean what would where would the kids go you know what 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 would that even look like but there's i mean in a, a couple of counties over i think they 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 might even have just like a handful of janitors i don't even think i think like a majority of the teachers are sweeping and mopping and cleaning their rooms and I mean, with with our school, and it's a decent district and a decent and decent little town. I mean, we're talking. There's at least three or four buses that are doing two runs in the morning and the afternoon because they don't have enough bus riders. So they drop, you know, a bunch of kids off about twenty, thirty minutes early, and those kids are roaming the school and going and getting breakfast and stuff, and then they they go back out and get another run. And that's how they've done it at nearly every school across the district. So. Um, that's how they're going about fixing this problem. They're just gonna, they're just gonna kind of have everybody do, do double the work. And I, I don't know how long that's gonna last. Um, it just doesn't, it just doesn't compute at some point. Um, yeah, they're burning the wick at both ends, as I've as I've brought up before. You know, they, they've done it themselves. It's their yeah. fault. It was their business to 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 lose. Um, they don't understand the real autonomy that they have. They, right. they just take those positions, they do what they're told, and then, you know, they, they get their paycheck, and then the next day comes and they do the exact same thing all over again, whether, again, it's it's school teachers or administrators or superintendents, what have you. Because, as right. you, you know, as you said earlier, on all of the progress forms and building management plans and all of this nonsense paperwork that they fill out on a year in and year out basis, they've almost got to make it look like they're doing something new, different, and quote unquote innovative every single year. Right. When in fact, all they have to do is just succeed. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, and then what it's like, uh, the anterior benefit of a good student is the society at large you know we we have this oh common good common good crap and it's like yeah but what if we pump these kids full of actual knowledge objective truth and then and then we taught them how to learn is that's a problem too i mean we're not we're not teaching them the way how to teach themselves which essentially every sentient being has the ability to do um, we just we just crush their little souls and send them out into the world and and tell them they're gonna make big big they're gonna do big things and they're gonna change everything and it's like no we we need people who just want to like go get a job and pay taxes and like the minimal stuff um, you know and and not be criminals and and not uh, not think that someone is going to provide something for you without you attempting to provide it for yourself. You know, it's just, just, um, the whole system is void of common sense and, and it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's obvious to me and it's probably obvious to you. And I just don't see, 
I mean, teachers are notorious for complaining amongst themselves, but it's like nobody actually says like this whole thing, this whole thing stinks. Um, only a few say that. And, and usually the people who say this thing stinks don't stick around to, to see it rot any further. It just drives them crazy. Cognitive dissonance and stuff. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, when we, when, when we look at the history, I mean, what Jefferson wrote on, on his schools is, uh, you know, like Horace Mann and a couple of other jumped on early and said, oh, this is a good model and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't even, his model didn't even pass the Virginia State House to become Virginia's law. Um, it kind of, it kind of died as a bill, like most bills do. But I mean, in his writings, he says the state should never get into the business of schooling. He's like, it's, it's, it's way too big and there's too much room for corruption. There's too much room for deceit. It should it should only be the parents. The the parents should hire the teacher. The teacher should be local. You know, there there's there's some benefit. You know, I mean, he even he even calls at some point in his plan. He called he called it a hundred because every five six miles, every hundred hundred or so people, they're gonna they're gonna build a little school, and. Uh, and the superintendent of the schools is the one who kind of travels around and, and kind of is a resource to the teachers and the parents in the community. And, and he basically picks the two top students. But in Jefferson's writing, he says he's going to pick the two best students, the two brightest students from the rest of the rubbish. You know, it, it's this idea that everybody needs to succeed, quote unquote, succeed and not define that succeeding. Um, from from a practical perspective, as far as the system, yeah, we've taught a ton of kids how to read. But if you actually look at the data, um, you know, they're they're actually not enjoying the reading, and they're not actually picking good things to read. You know, they're they're. It's almost like we we teach them how to read, and then immediately we inoculate them against good literature, and we give them the hardest stuff to read, and then we we do things like the journeys program, um, which you literally read and typically it's struggling readers that you're using this with. At least that was my experience. You read one article, which is like literally three pages long and you read it all week. You read it for fluency. Um, you, and, and you're marking down which words they're missing. You read it for understanding. And there's all these little schematic tests that you do throughout the week. I mean, the kid, is pulling their hair out by the end of the week and they're bored out of their mind because it's just informational text. It doesn't, doesn't pull the soul anywhere. You know, it doesn't make them think about, you know, this whole big world and, and their place in it. And it just, it's, it's obnoxious and it, and it doesn't do what it needs to do. And, and obviously these programs come and go because somebody's making a ton of money on it. It's, it's, it's not for the benefit of the student. It's, to the benefit of of the publishing company or the people that have the copyright or the or the sales reps or whatever it is it's it's just insane that we allow this to happen um with perfectly good children who can actually you know be a member of society a functioning member of society that that will will actually help us when we're older 
he'll actually hold the line for us. You know, that's, that's kind of the point, you know, it's for us and our posterity. Um, anyway. Yep. You're right. I love Jefferson's writings. I've brought them up. I've brought them up numerous, numerous times. Um, not everybody can be educated. Right. And you should never force individuals who cannot be educated or don't want to be educated to be educated. Right. So. Right. And, and, and you're educating them in a, in a homogenous cookie cutter way. You're, you're not tweaking it for, for as much talk as differentiation there is. It just, it's, it's, it, it's impossible to do that. You don't have enough time in, in the day. You, you can't possibly do that. 30 kids in a classroom, 25 kids in the classroom. Um, it's just the expectation is just a not normal expectation. So, um, yeah. And, and, and that's, so Jefferson was always about decentralization or keeping things decentralized. And I'm all about that, especially if parental rights are respected, which that's another problem with it's, it's like professionals think, and not all of them. I mean, there's plenty of good people in the system, but, but there's, there's just as many, I think that that think that they are actually taking the place of the family, um, which that's, that's not a correct understanding. We're, we're being allowed, um, we're being allowed the access to the child's intellect and it's not ours to mess with. It's ours to build. Um, it's ours to work with. It's ours to educate and it's ours to ultimately hopefully finish off in high school and, and, and kind of send them on their way. But it is certainly not our place to tell them what to think and how to think and how to feel and certain emotions and these things. And I mean, they're, they're, they're all for tweaking the intellect of, of these kids. And I think that's a really bizarre thing. Megalo, megalomaniacal. Um, just this, this idea that we're going to change the world by, by forcing these kids through these things. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's child abuse. They're, they're not allowed to be individuals. And I'm, I'm not huge on individualism as far as, you know, oh, freedom of expression. Let's, you know, wear punk outfits and be emo and stuff like that. Like that, I think is kind of superficial. Right. Um, it's, it's more of a product of the homogenization of schooling and society. Um, and, and they're just little clubs anyway. But, um, anyway, I mean, Catholic schools. So in, I mean, most institutions in the sixties, there, there was a bit of revolution. Some, some were a little, some predated that. Some, you know, were a little later. You know, we can think like, think tanks like the Franklin School and and all that stuff for kind of our institutions getting pulled this way or that. But but one of the biggest institutions that was kind of holding the line for the longest time that lasted through I don't know how many civilizations, I don't know how many kingdoms and governments and these sort of things was the Catholic Church. Um and and it was holding the line really well up until about nineteen sixty and they called this thing called the, the Vatican Vatican Council to, or the Second Vatican Council. Um, and in this, the same revolution that happened in society happened in the church. They, um, the, the Pope who was kind of running the show at that time, um, 
talked about um, aggiornamento and, and some other things, basically this opening up to the world, right? Where, where prior popes were very careful about, okay, this is the eternal truth right here, and we're going to protect it, and we might we, we might re, uh, represent this truth to the world in a different way because the world is different now, but we're not going to mess with the actual truth and present it as a different thing. But since the 60s, that's been happening. And one of the problems with that is that it's had a, it's had a, a horrible effect on the actual Catholic school. Um, so when you have revolution, it, it just, everything gets kind of up, upended. And if you don't have something to kind of insert in its place, you know, you get kind of this chaotic mess. They tried to insert something in its place, but they were, there were plenty of conservatives and old guard that were still existing, that still had power. And so it was a very uh, tumultuous time. But um, we see these days the product um, of the seminaries because Pope Francis um, and, and some of the, the elderly cardinals and, and stuff in the Curia, they all went to the new seminaries. Um, so we're talking fully, full on you know, all sorts of crazy stuff going on there, um, as the news obviously says over and over. So this revolution that happened in the church actually had a, the effect on the, on the Catholic schools um, was, was horrible. Um, so the, the biggest problem is that when they started tweaking everything and messing with like the mass and, and all these things, um, the sisters, the religious, who had typically always done the teaching, um, they left. And if they didn't leave, they never showed up to become a religious because everything was new and shiny and there was no attraction. There was no eternal, you know, man, this thing's been going on for a long time. And, you know, well, they've always said the same thing. So there was a lot of uh, rupture in religious communities. So all these teaching orders vanished in less than a decade. Um, so the problem with that is you had all these schools in existence. So what happened by the 70s and the 80s was lay people started to teach, lay people started to be principals and assistant principals and superintendents and, and secretaries of education and dioceses and on and on and on. Um, and so all of the Catholic churches by, you know, the 80s, they're, they're having their bottom line is going through the roof as far as their needs financially, because all these lay people have families, there's no more teaching orders. So, I mean, back in the day, the teaching order, they would send, you know, three or four nuns, sisters, teaching sisters, um, to a certain area to maybe start a school or work a school. And, and these sisters, they would live in community. They would get the, the mother house would actually get their payment. Like, let's say if there's four of them, it could have been like maybe five grand, six grand a year. And that'd go back to the mother house and the mother house would subsidize their, their living expenses. But basically that's all they were religious. They took a vow of poverty. So it was an, and on top of that, they were born to teach because most of the time when you were a teaching religious, you were in one of these orders, it was deemed that you had the charism. You were, you were given this by God. You were created for this purpose to be poor and to be single and celibate and, and to be a teacher of children. You know, um, it's a big difference when you get, you know, moms and dads and uncles and all these people involved. So, so tuition started to go through the roof as well. And, 
Um, and the problem is, is these lay people are bringing in all these modern ideas. The religious are gone, so all the old ways are gone. Um, and 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 then cost for the school, the actual plant inside of the school, is is astronomical. It's 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 becoming exponential. And then you get this problem where the Catholic identity of the school is being usurped by just worldly secular education. So all the modern methods, all that stuff. Um, so anyway, so so that's kind of what happened in in the Catholic Church. But but prior to that, you know, it 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 went for like almost two thousand years. I mean, it started with the monasteries, monks would would take in you know orphans, that sort of thing. You have tons of examples of priests throughout the ages. Um, John Bosco is one of them, St. John Bosco, um, St. Jean-Baptiste LaSalle. Um, these guys would take street urchins and make saints out of them um, just because they were great teachers. And, and then there was a spiritual aspect to the education. So that's always kind of been a part of, of what I think is, is, you know, a really decent education is, is these eternal truths, these objective truths. Um, one of the fascinating things is in 1929, uh, one of the popes, Pope Pius uh, XI, he wrote something called Divini Ilius Magistri, and that just means on the educate on the Christian education of youth. And I mean, he's an encyclical. You know, these days encyclicals are 600 pages long, and they're saying we have to, you know, take care of the earth, and you can't run air conditioners and all this other nonsense. And that's just not. That's not the point of the church. Um, all the, the Green New Deal and that sort of that's not the church. The church is um, this is what's always been taught. This is this is why it's been taught. Let me re-explain um, to a world that's forgotten, essentially. Um, so they were always the keepers of truth. But this guy, I mean, he says some of the craziest stuff that you would think, man, what? I mean, just the just the fact that he could come up with some of these truths. Um, I'll give you a, a couple of them. Yeah. Um, so, and, and sometimes popes, they'll compile stuff from past popes or saints or, or whoever, really a cardinal here, a cardinal there, this Christian here, Christian there, anybody who had, who had the light, the grace to speak on the subject. Um, so this is a quote from, uh, Leo the 13th, who was, who was mid 19th century, or I guess more late 19th century. He said that without proper religious and moral instruction, every form of intellectual culture will be injurious. For young people not accustomed to respect God will be unable to bear the restraint of a virtuous life. And never having learned to deny themselves anything, they will easily be incited to disturb the public order. So, I mean, they're, they're just saying in the 19th century, mind you, that you know, with, without this foundational truth, and, I, and I'm not trying to, you know, preach God or anything like that, but just that we've lost the teaching of truths. Um, but without this fundamental truth of just human beings being who they are, um, nobody's, nobody's going to know how to respond in future. I mean, the public order is going to be completely, you know, it's going to be chaos in the streets. And that's, just something that we lose sight of when when we're chugging away at our normal you know edu education jobs you know I'm these people need to function at some point and 
how am I actually helping in that functioning? Um, yeah, it creates it, it creates a, a real internal lifelong struggle within the individual because the individual never figures out who God intended them to be. Right. Because the system is telling them, you all have to be the same. You right. have to do this. You have to stand here. You all have to read this. You should all write this way. Right. And, th and then at right. the exact and same time, they're perversing right. um, individuality to the point where everybody then needs to be like one of their other peers. Right. Well, your peers, your peers dress like this, or your peers act like this. So now you need to, uh, you, you know, you need to accept the way that they're doing things, rather than having the person actually focus on themselves. Right. It's awful. Right. And, and have that, and have that self-knowledge. Yeah. You know, knowing where you're going to fail before you fail or knowing where you need extra help is, is quite a good thing to, to know, you know, know, knowing what you don't need to work on. That's a good thing. You don't have to waste your time. Yeah. You know, um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's, but having, yeah, having, um, having that kind of objective truth where, you know, we're not making it up as we go. This is actually how it was, is I think really important, especially with the little kids, you know, two plus two is always four. You know, if you start talking, you know, something other than that, then, then we should all have a discussion that that's, that's probably not appropriate. That's, that's wrong. Um, yeah. Two plus two is not racist. Right, right. What is that's what? Oh, he said two plus two is not transgender. It was the <laughs> the, the uh, is it the the governor, the the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, the the big black dude. Yeah, he, he said that at some point. You Good know, for two him. Plus two is not transgender, it, and that's and that's exactly it. We're we're messing with their intellect. We're saying you must. And forget it. Let's forget about math right now. Let's, you know, let's, let's talk about these other people and how you have to welcome them and all this. And it's like, just say, be nice. Just teach us how to be nice. And that's it. Don't, don't teach us why we need to think a certain way when you're, you're kind of flying by, you're, you're just flying by the seat of your pants. You're making it up. Um, and you don't even anyway, have to, you, you don't even have to teach them to be nice. You just hold them accountable for not being nice. If they break the law, right, exactly. you, if you break, yeah, if you break point. the law, you kick them out. That's up to the, right. again, that's the Jeffersonian approach. The family is supposed to teach them about feelings. The school is right. supposed to teach them about content. Right. Well, and, and so that, so, uh, some other stuff from this, this encyclical, he, um, which is kind of along the same lines. He's, uh, he says, for, for in this work, the teacher, whether public or private, has no absolute right of his own, but only such as has been communicated to him by others. So basically, the child belongs to someone else, and you have no right over the child other than what these people say your rights are. You know, um, when we have a school board member, I don't know if you saw it, but some, some I don't know, it was so one of the mid-Atlantic states, it was in Virginia, but um, but after all this stuff, you know, this continual stuff with Loudoun County, and 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 then he's he's got this op-ed that essentially says, like, well, parents, you do not, you know, uh, you do not provide my salary. Uh, you are asking us things that you know nothing about. You know, like this really condescending, dripping with condescension. Yeah. And I'm like, it's an eternal truth that that child belongs to the parent and, and 
for all of human history, there were orphans, but now we stuff them into the state and we can see how that works. They're wards of the state. Somebody's got to do it, obviously, but when, when you limit the field otherwise and you don't allow the Catholic Church or the Baptists or, or whoever to help because they're a religious organization and there's not going to be any collusion between the state and the government, um, you know, it's just common sense dictates that that's probably not going to be a good thing. When the post office is going out of business and we're handing children over to the state um, because they're the best option, you know, we, we really need to have these conversations because the, that child does not belong to the state. It doesn't, it's, it's, it's never belonged to the state. No matter how, no matter how crazy that child's life is with the parents, we have to provide multiple options. There has to be something else. Um, Anyway, any, any, you know, keeps continuing. Um, every method of education founded wholly or in part on the denial or forgetfulness of original sin and of grace and relying on the sole powers of human nature is unsound. So it doesn't matter what you're teaching or how you're teaching it. If, if, if you're not digging into those truths and presenting them and allowing the child to come to their own, you know, if you say this is who God is, and then you allow the child a few years before you really call them to the carpet on it. That's, that's a really, you know, that's really generous instead of testing them out in the unit, you know, two weeks later, and then they forget about it until the review at the end of the year. And then, you know, they regurgitate all these facts that, you know, it, it's just, it's just not the fundamental truths have to be taught first. And then the child has to come to an understanding of those fundamental truths or else the whole enterprise is shot. Um, and it becomes very, very difficult for them to comprehend anything new that they're learning because they have nothing to relate it to. Right. Like you said, there's no found, there's no foundation of any truth of any kind. And, right. You know, heaven forbid, again, you bring up God, even in a public school setting, you'll get your arm chopped off. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and and, uh, and and of course, the reason that they can't allow that to happen is because it disproves science and it disproves history. Right. So that blows right. up. That, that blows up two complete subjects. Right. Uh, that are allegedly foundational to to the entire framework of what they believe to be public education, and really, it's just scientism is is all right. they're exactly. is all they're teaching, and then was it Voltaire? You know, history is just a group of men who gather in a dark room and agree on a lie. Right. That's it. That's why it's so hard for them to 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 recall accurate information or you know any information, and it's because what's what's being taught to them is a falsehood. Right. The truth is easy to remember. It just has. Right. To, but if it's not taught, they they have no they have no choice. Exactly. You know? Right. And, and, and even, you know, uh, St. Paul in Romans, I mean, he's, he specifically says, you know, at, you can experience creation. And at some point, you're going to say, well, where the heck did all this stuff come from? Where did the stuff, the matter, you can say what came first, chicken or egg or acorn or tree or whatever, but the matter, the actual stuff that constitutes that acorn or that tree, where did it come from? And, and that's, that's, when your little teeny tiny soul starts to realize that, you know, that there's, there may be, and, and if there's anything that this world needs, it's the understanding that there's, there's, there's something bigger and more important, whatever it is, materialism, you know, 
vaccines, you know, scientism, all of these things, if there's one thing that we all need to start thinking about is that we are actually pretty small and, and we rely not only as on one each other, one another, but, but we, we rely on graces. We rely on this other thing that, um, that we should probably be thinking about instead of, you know, constantly thinking about ourselves. Cause I mean, if you look at the, I guess I should change how I speak about the modern education system. It's really actually quite successful. If you think about it, if, if they actually wanted to, if they were actually setting out for what they intended in the first place, when compulsory education started getting rolled out and, and, you know, busing and all these different things. I mean, if, if they were looking for failure, they, they've like done really, really well. Um, it's, it's, it's actually, you know, probably one of the best enterprises that they've, they've, that we could have if that's what they intended. Um, and Which I should, hopefully, you know, some of them probably did, but, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, judging intent is different than judging the actual action, you know. Yeah, I, I think their plan is pretty clear and, and well, in in my humble opinion, I guess, but if you if you can make something and then you can make that thing that you've made fail with the intent of having government continuously create programs, quote unquote, to fill an alleged void that you created, then ultimately the entire thing is controlled by government. So you've got government money laundering and you've got government with the overreach that they have over education. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing all of the moves that a school teacher would be able to make on their own time with their own freedom be completely dictated to government government rules um, and and you know groups and programs that that school districts pay for that comes from someone else who's just trying to make a dollar, right? And and it's all funded by government and it's backed by government and they say, oh, you have a problem reading? Well, wouldn't you know it? We've got all these indoctrination programs over here on how to make you a better you know reading student, and then right. they and then they shove it on reading teachers whether they want it or not, right? So which and and yeah. most don't. Most don't. That's they, right. You know, they're yeah. they're like, this is absurd. How many different programs we have to deal with, and 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 I mean, forget about the actual materials. When when these sales reps are, I mean, there's workshops. There's you got to fly people in. There's you know, whole whole group instruction on how to roll these things out, and and they make twice as much money easily. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a racket for sure. Um, it's a big racket. Yeah. So, so you know, when 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 I you know, I'm speaking about Catholic education. You know, that's essentially what happened to Catholic education. You know, you you have this this pope in 1929 that literally puts it all in a book, a really short book, by the way, on on what it takes to raise um, raise good children, and 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 he kind of lays it all out. When I read that, it was my first year at a Catholic school, and I was a little disillusioned because I was seeing a lot of the same problems in both public and and Catholic, and and so I, you know, I picked that up, and and I ended up, you know, talking to my wife, and I was like, oh my gosh, this this is it. This is what a Catholic school needs. This is what we should be reading every day as teachers at a Catholic school. This is, you know, but then I th- I think well, only four of the 
you know, 12 teachers are actually Catholic, you know, I mean, the, the principal is nominal Catholic and it just didn't, it, the zeal was already gone. Uh, when we talk about, you know, Matthew at 28, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, you know, literally 12 people did that. And, you know, they, they had help, but that's, that's who, who he chose. And, and to think that, you know, a small minority can have that sort of change is, is, is something that we should be thinking of. So we had the perfect number of teachers, you know, we, we, we could have been easily getting these 400 some kids in and out every day. And we could have been doing what, what was said to be done in the first place, you know, through true education. Um, so anyway, I, I read this thing and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is 1929. And he's talking about, Oh, be careful of the movies and the vile books and a couple of other things where I'm like, gosh, it was, he's saying vile in 1929. Good night. We're, we're so far past that. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, that's, that's essentially, it was like the last deposit of, of, of writing on education. Um, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the people paying attention now, um, and it's interesting. I was just talking to a priest this weekend who started a couple of schools and, um, and he said something inter- interesting that I had never, I'd never come across. Um, but he essentially said, you know, all the ruptures in the sixties, um, all the ruptures in the sixties actually made education purely science. But before that it was both science and art. So it, it he called it the art of arts you know, sculpt, sculpting, sculpting the mind, you know, um, bringing up a child in intelligence and wisdom. That's the art of arts. And we've essentially lost the art. It's been ruptured. It's gone, but the science is still there. So the science has kind of grown into this, you know, all devouring rational thing. Um, but there is an art to it that we forgot and, and we should be thinking about that art. And I think you, you in particular, you know, when I listen to your pod, your other podcasts, I mean, I think you 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 would understand that perfectly fine. I mean, you, when you say things like "I was put on this earth to teach," you know, that I would think that that is an indication that that you have a little flame of that art. You know, like like there's there's going to have to be a restoration at some point. You know, yeah. I'm I'm daydreaming these days about about you know attempting a one room schoolhouse. And, you know, getting McGuffey's reader and, and just, just, you know, you, you're promoting, you're getting promoted on merit and we're not doing the age, you know, you're magically in another grade next year, no matter what we teach you or what your grades are. And, and, um, and I think, I think it'd be fun to, to actually try it. And I think that, I think, you know, if, if things were to come crashing down, um, I think it would be regional. I mean, I'm lucky to be in Florida right now under the leadership that we're under. Um, is masking and vaxes and all that stuff has never been, has never even, I mean, the Catholic schools, that's what's, that's what's crazy. The bishops and the Catholic schools, I mean, they're all masking. I mean, not anymore, but, but they're, they actually mandated masks, but DeSantis never mandated it. If a diocese did, he came in and said, Hey, you be, you better cut it out or I'm going to sue you into submission sort of stuff. Right. Um, no, I did, so I, I, I daydream about the exact same thing. I, um, I, I honestly believe that it is the only way forward. And I, I, yeah. I applaud everybody who homeschools. 
I applaud the, the, the students that are literate enough to teach themselves because I, I, I advocate for that every, every chance I can get. Um, th- that's because, again, that's the, that's the quintessential opposite of everything that we see or hear about in the public education system. How dare a, uh, a human being right. who knows how to read and write actually learn how to look things up on their own when they have a question. <laughs> right. Right. And then and then all you hear, all you hear outside of that school is well we can just look it up on the internet. We can I mean this vast knowledge. I mean some of it's dangerous, but I mean I can, I can I can I mean being Catholic, I can look up literally any encyclical on the Vatican website all the way until they were paying attention. I mean we're talking like over a thousand years of this stuff. Where I can go back and, and, and this dude says, you know, Pope such and such says the exact same thing that this guy said 500 years later. And it, and that says something to me about that. You know, it's, 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 that is probably closer to the eternal truth than what, what I'm getting now. But, but these kids have this on offer at any time. Um, and they, and, and all you got to do is teach them how to discern. I, I mean, that's what, um, yeah. Aristotle said, I mean, literally the learning is you're looking at two things and you're figuring out the differences between them and the similarities. That's literally learning. So, I mean, we, we just totally lose that and, and we do it all over control. We do it all over this mass. I mean, I got 1,100 kids at my middle school. It's, it's all it is is three stinking grades and we got 1,100 kids and there's two in town. And I mean, you cannot, you can't possibly do it right. You can't. It's, it's, and then if you look at all these charter schools that are really successful, it's because, it's because of discipline. It's because when the kid gets out of line, the charter, the, the handbook in the charter school is much stronger than the public school because the public, we seem to just like, okay, well, we'll just take that abuse and we'll make this one, two, three, four people. Uh, they can just, take over this entire classroom and ruin it for everybody else, you know, no offense to them because I mean, I don't know their, their, their position in society. I don't, I don't know what they're struggling with. I'm sure they're struggling from a lot, but just, just the idea of them struggling and allowing them to, to misbehave and allowing them to co-opt the entire learning process is, it's absurd. It's not just, um, and that's just what's going to happen. It's it's all going to go down to the lower the lower. It's going to be the lower lowest case scenario where the individual who performs the least will actually skew. It won't be the leader of the room because they're doing everything you ask and they're just sitting there getting their way all day long. It's going to be it's going to be the 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 lower students. But but yeah, I I don't I don't think mass education. It's just it's the way they've spent on it. I, I, it's just not, it's not practical or it's not commonsensical either. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about looking at, cause I mean, it would be great if you could, if you could figure out the one room schoolhouse again and you could, you could update some of the material. Cause I mean, obviously some of the material would have to be updated, not the curriculum, but the, the, the actual material. Um, I mean, you could, I mean, it would be easy if you could franchise that off, not as a business model, but just like, this is what we've done and this is what was successful. And, and there were 190,000 of these at one point in North America. 
you know, it's not, it wasn't a little thing and it was ridiculously, um, successful. And I mean, it turned, turned out all sorts of people who, who, I mean, they were literally eight, nine years, eight, and you know, eight, nine years, like into the schooling. Um, and, and they're, they're doing calculus and all this other stuff and they're, they're essentially graduating and, and, and the best part is the family at any time could say, I need you home today. And then the kid would stay home and there's no truancy. There's no, there's no like, how dare you? Because it's all based on merit. It's all based on you knowing something. It's not you missing the work we did yesterday. It's you pick up where you leave off and you are a product of your family and you belong to them. And it's, it's just, it makes so much more sense to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right now we're, we're kind of looking, there's a couple of guys in town and we're all Catholic and we're, we're kind of playing with the idea and, uh, and it's it's something that would have to be funded privately because you can't do some of this stuff um with with just squawking you know like you're a quote unquote private school as defined by the state you know you they they get their fingers in there too much um the, and, the, and right- the, the recommendation that I've made and i I don't know if it's viable or not i I think it is it certainly sounds like it would be and i it it must exist. Um, it's the business of taking a homeschooling accredited model and simply bringing that into a building. Yeah, you've you've said like a Becca right. before. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have the parents purchase the program, parents pay the teachers to teach the material, and you're killing two birds with one stone in the sense because they can still utilize a place for their child to go and learn while they're working. If in fact, both parents are working or a single parent is working. Right. And then, well, and and that's, that's another thing that needs to be said too. I mean, back in the day, and I'm, I'm not like raging for the 1950s again, because there were plenty of problems societally, but I mean, just, just the fact that we, we, we need two incomes now just to get by is, is, you know, that that has to be said too, because there's there's families that are are actually now dependent on the system that exists just as a holding tank. Forget the the education of the child; they they need somebody to watch the kid, and it's essentially a free option. You know, uh, you're already paying for it with with property tax or whatever. But that I mean that would be good, and you could you could use that curriculum, and that curriculum could be merit based too. You wouldn't have to. You know, they're they're at some point they're just going to be working on their. They're going to work themselves because that's the we have a couple of students that would be homes or high school, and there would be trans transcript problems if if they would if they weren't, um, if if we weren't accredited, which I I have no desire to work with any accreditation. I mean, no. the stuff. The yeah. stuff that I see in public school is insane. And all of those, it's really funny because every single, um, at some point, these accreditation companies and these textbook companies said, man, we can double our money if we just sell all this crap to Catholic schools too. You know, Christian schools, um, Seventh-day Adventist schools, all of the, it. It's like, it's all about the bottom line. So, so all of the same thing. So like Missouri is where I, I was uh, a principal. And, uh, and literally 
it's the same exact accreditation um, with like one extra category added for religion. And then they call it the Missouri non, non-public school, you know, accreditation association, but it's all the same stuff. Like I looked at it, it's, it's the same requirements. So you're saying this rural Catholic school that's existed way before um, public school existed. Um, the priest started a high school because he wanted a football team. So, so that's, that, that was the, the school essentially. And the, the public school started two years after that. And they actually played football for his football team because they didn't have enough kids there. So it was like the exact opposite, but, but you can, you can't tell me that, that this public association of accreditation is is now going to dictate to me what this school that has culture that it, it runs like a family and it runs like a top i mean we we struggled for money but that's that's across the board everywhere does that you know um so anyway but that is a good idea i mean you could you could easily use a program that's that that is doing they're they're connecting all the dots for you and you just plug it in and then and transcripts will come and everything that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah. You're not reinventing the wheel. Theoretically, right. the, the, the building where you're doing the teaching isn't technically a school. It's a home. Right. So, you know, and, and, right. ch- and parents are sending their children to that home. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. in my make-believe world, that's, you know, that <laughs> seems to be the thing. But I, I do know for a fact that that, that does exist. Yeah, and they even utilize the Hillsdale College model as well, and uh, you know it's accredited, and they just build their own building, and yep. then they, you know, the parents pay, parents pay into the program, and and that's how they fund themselves. But um, this is going to be a bit of a naive question, but let me ask you this: from your Catholic background, do they move? Um, Catholic school administrators around like they move ministers and priests around a church? You know how, like, they'll yeah. be around for only a certain number of years, and then they move away, and then somebody else comes in? Do they do the same thing with school administrators? They don't, um, but the usually the supervisor is the priest, so when the priest gets moved, there is an effect on the school. Um, most of the time, the principal, it's its like every other education administration other than the move. It's just a job that has become a monster. So it used to be all of these people existed in a parish that would assist, you know. Um, so there was always a caretaker that took care of the school and the parish. You know, there was always a couple of priests, you know, when we don't have a lot of priests, we only got one and they got to run a school and, and a parish. We're talking some, some decent money and a lot of managing people. Um, and some of the people are, you know, they can get ticked off pretty easy. You know, it's just, just how the faith is sometimes when you're dealing with truths, um, people get angry quickly. Um, so anyway, so I think the job of principal, they might not, they, there's a there's a ton of turnaround, um, but it's not because they're moving. It's because the job has become such a large job with so many moving parts, um, and the money hasn't followed right. Because it, it would be it would have been fine if if you know 
well, I, I got to Now I, now we have to deal with maintenance and all that other stuff, but, but just the job. And then, and then if you look across the country, the age of the schools, the physical plant of the schools sometimes has a big effect on, on administration because it's a constant losing game with money and you can't, you can't really innovate. You can't or innovate as far as, you know, make classrooms more attractive, you know, build some sort of ancillary programs that will assist the teachers and what they do. So, so I would say they don't move, but they, they don't get moved, but they move on pretty quick. Um, every two years, three years, unless you have something where the guy, the guy or the gal is who is now principal has lived there, you know, in that town. And that's the parish they went to that, that kind of situation happens sometimes. And, and they'll be there for 20, 30 years, right? you know, but, but there's a lot of moving. It, yeah. It's, it sounds similar to the public school system as well. I mean, they can, they, you know, as you know, they pluck administrators in the public school system, whether they be principals or assistant principals and they rotate them around and they seem to think that that's somehow going to change something. Right. And it, and it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's, and that's one thing. Two, um, when it comes down, you know, at the beginning of this, when we started talking, I was saying, you know, I'm one of these weirdo Catholics that goes to the old, the old mass. Um, what's, what's really interesting is when you get into the politics of the church and, and how this progressive idea has kind of taken hold, just like the rest of society. Um, but, you know, we, we'd have a good, a pretty decent priest. And they'd be saying the Latin Mass, and you'd be surprised at how many young families come around for that Mass. But the priest would, would be moved, you know, and they'd be moved across town two hours away, wherever, because some of these dioceses are pretty big. And, uh, and there, goes your, there goes the Latin Mass. And then the new guy, you know, um, it was a crapshoot whether, whether they were going to even, you know, hold the line like previous one did or or whether they're you know just addicted to progress and you know they're going to change this and that they're going to bring and programs 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 you know it's like they're in seminary they're put through you know essentially um it's a a management school you know it's it's not like this is how you teach the faith and 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 we're going to work on you and your spiritual journey and we're going to make sure you're set it's like okay these this is accounting, you know, this is, you're, they're basically training CPAs and, and that's what, what's important to bishops, I guess, or these seminaries, but, um, it ends up having a negative effect. So you'll get a good priest every now and then that'll, that'll, I mean, their teaching is solid as a rock and, and you can rely on it. But, but I would say oftentimes you have someone in the middle or somebody who, you know, I mean, in the middle, meaning like they say things that make you think like, uh-huh, okay, that's good. But then they're also in the bag for, you know, new, new, new. And, um, and I always, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a reactive conservative, you know, I see the previous generation, you know, everything that they did. And I say, uh, that's not for, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm a family man. I'm going to make sure we have good citizens. I'm going to love these guys. I'm going to make sure if my wife wants to stay home with them and teach them, I'm going to make that happen. You know, that's just, that's just what you have to do. Um, and, and it's been, it's been great how, how we've done it. Like I, I love my wife. We, we have a great relationship. Um, but that's not the case. You know, I look around, um, a lot of our friends, they, they, they're, they're, society just is not, um, it's very fragile these days. Um, so anyway, long story short, I think, um, or long story long progress in itself is good, but progress for progress's sake is, 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 is not a way to live. It's certainly not a way to run a school or a church. Let me ask you about you know, the mask wearing and, and the jab related stuff that you've seen within your school system. Um, how, how is that, how has that impacted what's going on and, and what's been the perspective there? So I think, um, it is, uh, not what's so weird is, you know, I've been in Florida for two years now, a little over two years. And I, uh, so I don't, I, I can't compare it to anybody else's experience. Um, so what I say might, you know, when we relate it to other experiences, it might not be the same, but I haven't really seen, uh, it's obviously a problem when, um, when they're, when, when you're not allowed to question something and say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's for me. Can you give me a little more info? And then they're like, no, we can't. And you must take this, you know, that to me, I, that would make me skeptical, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, my family's thinking a different way as far as my folks, you know, my sister, um, and other, other people I know, but it just, when, when I'm skeptical, it just stops me dead in my tracks and I don't go any further. Um, so in my, in the schools, I mean, Florida as a whole, we, we did a, we did a pretty hard close for a couple of weeks. Um, the local people tried to shut everything down and it, and it worked to an extent, but, um, the weather being what it was and their ability not to enforce it, um, other than, you know, the capitalist enforcing uh, all the mom and pops, you know, stores closed. And let's put everybody through Walmart. Walmart can be open, but you know what? We're just going to close. We're going to close one door, and we're so we're going to put the entire population of this neighborhood through one door in Walmart for five months straight. You know, it's just that that's counterintuitive. If if it's a virus, you know, unless you're planning that, you know, you would want people to spread out, but that's not what happened. So we had a lot of a local people in Florida that kind of started to piecemeal some things and, and really take some power onto themselves. But that first summer, um, I guess it was more towards the fall. DeSantis started to really say like, you know, things aren't lining up here. Um, and he's, and he started to say things like, we're never closing again, you know? And then he started to slowly, he had to go after some of the larger, um, counties and cities first. But he started to sue him. He started to go after the health departments and he started to go after the school boards and suggest, um, you know, Scott Atlas was saying his thing and Zelenko and 
so there were plenty of people who had already started to kind of speak how to deal with this thing. And I think he was looking, and uh, Mark McDonald, who's a psychologist out in California, he too um, was kind of consulted on it. And and he was primarily the mask guy. Um, but DeSantis was the one, see, and this is where I've had to come to terms with being conservative. You know, as a conservative, I've always thought like, um, I've always thought like, okay, small government, small, small, small government, small government, small government. I never thought, you know, we have this concept of big brother watching over us and big brother getting into our business and all that other stuff. But I certainly like DeSantis being my big brother, knocking people around on my behalf. You know, it government does serve a function. You know, it's, it's size. The central government in our country right now, it's, it's way too big. It's this, this huge thing, but having a man like DeSantis with a system that we have is really a godsend. It's not, it's not what people, I mean, Florida has been, been a, uh, I mean, living in Florida has been like a grace for us because it's, it's never been as bad as literally almost anywhere in the world. Um, in, in our experience. Now, there are some things, you know, my first week back at school, they did a huge rollout of the vaccine. But it was, uh, you know, it was on the up and up as, as, as much as possible. Parental consent was sought. You know, there were waivers, all this stuff. I would say probably maybe a third of the school did it, um, kids and staff. But most didn't. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's it's been when when taken relatively with other what I hear other people are are dealing with, it's 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 I mean not certainly not a nothing burger, but it hasn't been a really difficult thing. We uh we actually had one of our children at the end, not at the end, but um a couple of months into the lockdown, we, and we were so worried because. Nobody knew. They were telling my wife that, okay, well, if you know, if you have a fever and and you you have coronavirus, you know, you're going to have to quarantine. And and so she's they're telling her that they're going to take the kid for 14 days away from her, and both of them will have to be in the hospital, but they can't see each other, you know. And it's like, no, that doesn't make any sense at all, you know. We that's totally and and this is what they were kind of. Who knows if that was the truth, but that's what was kind of said to us as that's kind of standard operating procedure at the time. So, I mean, me on the way to the, we're going to deliver the baby and, you know, I'm popping, you know, ibuprofen and I got the AC cranked. It was like April, but the lady at the, you know, cause I couldn't have a fever or else I wouldn't be able to even go in the hospital to watch my kid be born. So, um, I think, I think the, the emergency room tech, like, I think she clocked me at like 95.4 degrees and she, and she took it like three or four times and was really freaked out because like I should have hypothermia and stuff, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I was there to see the, the birth of my kid. But what's so funny is the day before that, and this is April, was the day that the, that the, um, 
medical people, the, the, the medical staff, doctors, nurses, everybody at the hospital, that was the first day that masks were um, actually mandated. This is like, you know, four months in. And now they're mandated for them, the health workers. We didn't have to mask ourselves. And then the masks came a couple of weeks later for everybody, you know. It's like they were just making it up the whole time. You know, but we yeah. we could see it kind of coming, and it wasn't as severe as other places for sure, because we got we got you know, DeSantis and a couple other people who played some key. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Matt Gates's district too, and his his father used to be a state senator in this area, and and they, that family still has plenty of clout. Um. So yeah. So our yeah, it was it was relatively minimal. And, and now it's like nothing. I mean, there's like maybe I got like five or six kids that are masking um, all day long out of 125. So, so yeah, it's nothing. I mean, there's a couple of, there's a couple of teachers that mask, um, but pretty much we just, I mean, we see each other's smiles all day long or frowns because we're in public education. That's incredible. And, and you, Hey, you were just a stone's throw away from Andrew Gillum. So. Talk about do- yeah. talk about dodging I'm, I'm, a dodging a big uh, <laughs> a, a really big dangerous crack filled bullet it right it, there. It would have been. I, I mean, Florida would have been one of those states that everybody's leaving. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody would have had to go to Texas or something. One hundred percent. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.